for the first down and still on his feet. RG3 is going to outrace everybody. Roethlisberger looks, crosser, grab, he caught it, fights to the goal line, breaks the plane, touchdown Pittsburgh! That might win them the division! And the handoff to Tomlinson, left side, and he will gallop into the end zone! Charger fans are witnesses to history! And we're live! What's up folks? Welcome in to the Blitz Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mr. Kane Schwartz, and I'm joined by my fine fellow co-host, my ginger ninja, Mr. Jaden Kozak. How you doing, bro? Doing good. Very exciting weekend of football once again, and Senior Bowl stuff, all that stuff starting, so really excited to talk about that, plus all the head coaching news we got. Got a lot of stuff to go over. Hell yeah, man. We got um, a possible mock draft episode coming to you next week so that'll be fun and that's revolving around like the whole senior bowl stuff and um i've heard brandon mccall uh kentucky defensive lineman is balling out so that's good to hear but um yeah we had a hell of a matchup in both games this weekend and championship sunday did not disappoint both of them came down to the wire And it's sad, though, you know, because now we got the Pro Bowl and then we have the Super Bowl and that's it. And I don't know who is actually going to watch the Pro Bowl. I haven't watched the Pro Bowl in a minute, man. I don't literally I was watching the clip of Jeff Saturday and Peyton Manning. I don't think I've watched the Pro Bowl since then. Yeah, like it's it's just kind of gotten so boring with like the no tackling really like can't really hit anybody and then there are guys that just don't play because they're nursing injuries and then the teams that are in the Super Bowl their players don't play but it's just it's it's basically an all-pro team at this point it's like a second version of the all-pro team like you made the Pro Bowl that's great nobody's gonna watch exactly I just I wish it were more like what happened to the days when Sean Taylor was laying out dudes in the Pro Bowl like it was the Super Bowl like it's sad Sad yeah. you don't see that nowadays. Ending people. I remember scriptures. we got into a vicious, a vicious argument over the off season over the Pro Bowl, uh, as regards to like being fan voted or being yeah. It was oh like, yeah. Uh, Mind you, Lamar Jackson made the Pro Bowl over Josh Allen this year, so that should add a little bit of fuel to my fire yeah, in that I argument. That's fair enough. God, that is bizarre. That's just pretty sad that's what happens when it comes down it is mostly fan voting but it is comprised of actual votes from actual people that matter so there's some legitimacy but not a whole ton like i said who's watching the pro bowl nowadays but anyway as i said we had a hell of a championship sunday so let's dive into it episode 53 let's do it all right so to lead off our recap sesh from this past Sunday, we've got the Bengals coming out on top of the Chiefs. I can't believe this. The Cincinnati Bengals are actually headed to the Super Bowl. And they were the one pick that I had correctly for all of Championship Sunday. Like, they were the only team from our previous brackets that we put together uh, before the playoffs happened. The Bengals were the only correct team 
that I had in the championship round, and they made it to the fucking Super Bowl. Absolutely crazy. And I, I go to University of Kentucky, obviously. There's Cincinnati fans everywhere. It's who day public down here, but yeah, good to see, and it's cool to be in that kind of environment, but yeah, what a hell of a win, what a close win, 27 to 24. So, obviously, everyone watched the game, but let's recap it a little bit. So, Jero Burrow leads a 21-point comeback in the second half to go to overtime. At one point, they trailed by 18 points. They trailed 3 to 21 at the beginning of the second quarter. And most people thought it was over, you know. But the Bengals started to pick up some momentum towards the end of that second half after the Chiefs called that weird little call to Tyreek Hill at the end of the second half. Yeah, I see you shaking your head. What are your thoughts on that? I was. I remember watching that, and I was being like, what are you thinking? Like, I, I totally understand going up 25, going into the half, like being up four touchdowns essentially – that's, you know, that's very hard to come back from. But the play call itself, I saw Mahomes, he was looking in the end zone. He was looking over top of the line a little bit, but then he just throws a screen to Tyreek. I think that's like your last read. I know like bet on the speed to, you know, he somehow scampers into the end zone, but that's just horrible, horrible thinking to make that throw. I mean, at worst, just throw it away or something to try and get some points out of that. And that might've been yeah, the turning no, point. It was definitely the turning point because in the second half, the Bengals roared back. They came all the way back, and then they end up going to overtime, and you thought it was going to happen again. The Chiefs won the toss. I remember texting in the chat. I was like, fuck this shit, man. It's going to happen again. And Patrick Mahomes headed down the field, throws an interception, going for Tyreek Hill. Jesse Bates gets in there, deflects the pass, and it ends up going to Von Bell. He ends up taking it back a little bit, and this eventually sets up the 31-yard field goal from Evan Big Dick McPherson to hit the 31-yard field goal to win it. I mean, he has the most postseason field goals ever by rookie kicker in NFL history. So, absolutely balling out. And we're looking at a new NFL. I mean, with all the retirements, and now you got the Chiefs falling out of favor. I mean, this is the first time in three years that the Chiefs haven't been in a Super Bowl. So... It's a little new look from what we've seen the past three years in the Super Bowl. But, yeah, awesome win for the Bengals, awesome win for Cincinnati. Let's dive into some of the notable performances, shall we? And on the Chiefs side, you've got Mr. Patrick Mahomes. He really did look like Superman in that first half, but really fell off in the second. So he went 26 for 39, 275 yards, three tuds. And he did have those two interceptions, unfortunately. Check out this chat, though. I mean, when I read this, this was absolutely bizarre. And I've heard this mentioned a couple times this week. His first half QBR, 98. His second half QBR, 1.4. That is the largest gap in a quarterback's QBR in NFL playoff histories since they started recording it in 2006. So, wild. It's not used to the Patrick Mahomes that we've been seeing in the clutch. But hats off to Patrick. He did have 11 passing touchdowns in the postseason, which is tied for the most in NFL history with Montana, Kurt Warner, and Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco in there. That's wild. I knew that. I knew you were going to say that, and I was no. like, oh, my God. 
Just I mean, waiting he did for have, it. Yeah. Is Joe Flacco an elite quarterback? That's what sparked that whole conversation, you know. Um, but then yeah. Travis Kelsey, he went 10 catches, 95 yards, and a touchdown. He finishes the season with a touchdown in six consecutive games. We were talking about that Travis Kelsey touchdown being a good player prop, and it basically was automatic. I mean, you thought you would judge it after five consecutive games, but he ends up making it to six. And then Tyree Kill, seven catches, 78 yards, uh, really involved in the first half, didn't get a target in the second. Yeah, He got that one target, and it was interception. But besides that, absolute non-factor in the second half. And then on the Bengals side, you've got Joe Burr, Mr. Joe Cool, goes 23 for 38, 250 yards, two touchdowns. He did have one interception, but he's in a little bit of a club of his own now because he joins Tom Brady as the only other quarterback to beat Mahomes in the playoffs. And Tom Brady, which we'll get into later, is no longer in the NFL. So currently the only active player to beat Mahomes in the playoffs. Uh, He is the second quarterback since 1950 to lead a game-winning drive in each of his first career road playoff games. And check this out, Mahomes versus Burrow. So Mahomes versus Burrow, when Mahomes has been leading by 14 points or more, he's 0-2. Against the rest of the NFL in that scenario, he is a whopping 39-2. I mean, that's just... That shows you how dominant Patrick Mahomes is, but Joe Burr has his number, man. Uh, T. Higgins finishes with 6 and 103 yards. Mentioned that player prop before the game. Uh, Jamar Chase, 6 catches, 54 yards, and a touchdown. And then Joe Mixon was, in fact, heavily involved. uh, 21 carries and 88 yards. But what were some of your initial thoughts from the game, man? I just... Like, I know that this is all going to be about Joe Burrow, but A, I'm so tired of social media everywhere at Bleacher Report. He has just sucking him dry. I'm so tired of it. Please, if I see another Joe Shiesty, another Joe Burr, another picture with him with sunglasses on, I'm going to (laughs) throw up. I'm so tired of it. Like, I don't care anymore. Like, he's... Like, I think I think the media is going to make people hate him like they've done with so many guys in the past. However, as a football player, I'm kind of coming around to the way he's playing. I'm not going to give him an insane amount of props for what happened on Sunday just because how many times is Patrick Mahomes going to have, what, a 97 difference between his first half QBR and a second half QBR? Like... I, I kind of credit a lot of that to the defense, which has made some fantastic strides, I will say. Um, this was a team that a lot of people had five, six wins at most. Uh, and they've just came. I mean, they're in the Super Bowl. Who would have picked this? Even at the beginning of the playoffs, who would have picked this? I sat in my living room and I'm like trying to think of a way to make a graphic for the Super Bowl. And I just my brain stopped working when I kept putting Joe Burrow and the <laughs> Bengals in it. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. My brain literally could not process it that the Bengals were in the Super Bowl. But, you know, hats off to them and hats off to Joe Burrow. Um, you mentioned, I mean, we've been talking about the uh, difference in QBRs. I mean, that's just a bizarre stat. But I felt like I was watching a lot of the first half of the season 
Patrick Mahomes in the second half, you know? Like, especially on that sack later on in the game. Like, he tried to roll left, tried to roll right. Like, he's trying to, like, escape it. Like, no, just throw it away. Like, don't look panicked back there and just, like, searching for something to do. Like, what in the Carson Wentz is that, in the words of Booger McFarlane, you know? He's just trying to do too much. He was doing too much in that second half, and it really bit him in the ass, you know? Joe Burr came all the way back. But that's a big thing I noticed. Uh, Cincinnati offensive line also did a great job at containing guys like Chris Jones didn't have a sack. Uh, Frank Clark wasn't really that big of a factor. So offensive line held up. And like I said, Jamar Chase was probably not going to be a big factor in that game. And they absolutely shut him out outside of the touchdown, basically. And it ended up going all to T. Higgins. Like, if it's not going to be Jamar Chase, it's going to be T. Higgins. And if somehow you double both those guys, it's going to be Tyler Boyd or C.J. Uzoma, who's looking to be back for the Super Bowl. But they've got so many weapons. And God forbid all of those guys fall off the place of the planet. You've got Joe Mixon, top five running back in the NFL right now. So, yeah, this Bengals team absolutely made a turn for the best. So, let's talk a little about that, though. Let's get into the little uh, debate section from this game. Um, This Bengals rebuild has been one hell of a thing, dude. And just two years ago, in 2019, they were 4-11-1, which was the worst record in the NFL. And then two years later, this year, they're 10-7, and and they're Super Bowl bound. And they also are set up great for the offseason. I mean, they're a top 10 team in cap space right now. So is this Cincinnati Bengals rebuild the best that you can remember? I mean, with the hiring Zach Taylor, they've just been doing phenomenal things. They've got the arguably the best young core in football. They're set up for many, many years to come. So do you think this is the best rebuild you've seen? I mean, it's kind of hard to like, I mean, I'd have to think about every, every two off seasons of every team to try and put that together. Just to think of a few off the top of my head. I know Seattle. Yeah, that's one I was thinking of. Put together like back-to-back really good drafts uh, to rebuild that roster. And then San Francisco more recently when I know it's a little bit over a longer period of time where they went from like the Kaepernick teams to being bad to then being back in the Super Bowl with all that talent they have on both sides of the ball. Uh, but it's been extremely impressive. They got a lot of guys, a lot of guys that were under the radar signings. Nobody was saying like, oh, the Bengals won the offseason at the end of last offseason. You bring in Trey Hendrickson, that's risky because he's a rotational guy for the Saints that had a great year and a contract year. He's came out and he's performed. Mike Hilton was, you know, arguably one of the best slot corners in the league, but played injured for the Steelers last year. Comes in, he's playing great. W. Wouzier was another one of the best signings of the offseason. And then you have the whole Penny Sewell or Jamar Chase thing. And as great as Penny Sewell has been, he's been fine in Detroit. Jamar Chase is the offensive rookie of the year for a reason. And it's because you bring him in with Joe Burrow, you, you know, take that chance, you make that leap, and you pick that guy instead of taking the safe choice of offensive line, which you still desperately need. But you've got the cap space to do it because you didn't overspend on big names. You got a lot of guys that were under the radar that are coming in and performing like big yeah, names. Yeah, for sure. And that's like the most impressive thing to me is the amount of cap space that they have. I mean, they will be coming off even if they do lose a Super Bowl appearance. And then you go into the offseason with all those pieces still there. 
because they're super young. And then all you have to do is add in the offseason, you know? It's baffling to me. Like, I the 49ers, you're right. They went from Kaepernick to being bad to being good in a fairly quicker time. But I can't think of a quicker turnaround. I mean, they were picking than the Bengals. If I remember correctly, they were picking third in 2017 because they took Solomon Thomas, and that was—I mean—that was basically not a first-round pick at all. He left. Yeah, so he was no longer with the team two years later, and in 2020, they're in the Super Bowl. No, but the fact that they were able to like start, let's say, starting in 2018, they went from being one of the worst teams in the league to, you know, being in the Super Bowl. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. But absolutely phenomenal to see out of Cincinnati. You got to. Yeah, you got to oh, love sure. yeah. what's coming for this team. So it'll be fun to watch in the offseason coming very soon. All right, let's move on to the next little topic of debate real quick. And I know you'll shut this down immediately. Have the Kansas City Chiefs finished their reign of dominance? And I frame this question like that because I'm not trying to say that they're not going to be relevant, that they're going to fall into irrelevancy, but they just missed their first Super Bowl in the past three years. So do you see this reign of constant Super Bowl appearances being over now? Because if you look at it, Tyron Matthew, unrestricted free agent. Then you got Tyreek Hill, whose contract's up after next year. And then he'll be 29 after that deal's done. So do you want to sign him into his 30s? I mean, this Chiefs team, it's got some questions to be answered, you know? So do you think we'll see... Anything like the dominance that we saw these past four years coming forward for the Chiefs? Uh, do I think it'll be like, you know, three straight Super Bowl appearances? Probably not, just because, like you said, they do have some impending free agents coming up, and this roster is not perfect, as we saw at the beginning of the season. But they have Patrick Mahomes, they have Travis Kelsey, they have Andy Reid, they're going to have Tyree Kill at least through next year. And they have Chris Jones. They've got playmakers on both sides of the ball. They need to add more playmakers, specifically on defense. But when you have Patrick Mahomes, I think you're always going to be in it. Like I, I think this team opens as the favorite to win the Super Bowl next year with Tom, ba- Tom Brady out of Tampa Bay, Aaron Rodgers' future in Green Bay in question. I don't think I don't think you're opening with the Rams or the Bengals as the Super Bowl favorite. And I don't. Why not the see, Rams? I mean, the Chiefs have beaten Buffalo twice now. I, I just, I don't know. Like, I just, I don't think they'll do it. Plus, they've got Odell and Von Miller, both free agents. You don't know if they're going to leave. Um, so then there's questions there. And Matt Stafford's a year older. I just think that the Chiefs will probably open, unless I'm missing somebody. Okay. That's fair. As far as the Chiefs, I don't think we're going to see anything like we've seen from them over the past four years i mean what they've done is unprecedented uh outside of the patriots with tom but yeah i think this reign of absolute dominance of the league is over because you look at the afc too i mean you've got justin herbert in that same division also the potential of aaron Rodgers making his way into that division too uh, you got the Raiders now, Josh McDaniels at the helm. You got Derek Carr, he seems confident in. So that division's going to be really hard. And then you got Josh Allen that you're going to have to face every year. So that guy's only get it better. And I think the trajectory for the Bills is better than the Chiefs. So I think the Chiefs will find it difficult to make it out of the AFC 
from here on in? I wouldn't say find it difficult. I definitely could, you know, if they don't make it, I'm not going to, if they don't make it next year, I'm not going to completely write them off for the following year. The AFC is getting a lot thicker. Like it is, I mean, you, you mentioned the four teams in the AFC West all have a chance, maybe the Raiders much less so and Denver, depending on the Rogers situation, but you've got Lamar Jackson coming back healthy, which people aren't talking about. You've got these Cincinnati Bengals that we're talking about right now. Um, you know, maybe the Browns can figure something out. Steelers could come back with a quarterback. Titans could be back if they fix their quarterback situation. The Colts, who probably should have been in the playoffs. There's a lot of teams that could definitely make a run for this, but I still think the Chiefs are the best of that bunch. And I'm not so crazy over saying that that the Bills' trajectory is better than the Chiefs right now. I think, as I mean, on the quarterback level, they're probably close to even right now. I'd probably give the edge to Mahomes. And a lot of their players, you think Stephon Diggs is, what, 28-ish, 27? Around the same age as Tyreek Hill. Their key defenders, Micah Hyde's like 30. Jordan Poyer's like 30. Tredavious White's coming off a torn ACL. Like, they're, a lot of their key playmakers are either old or they're getting there. And the Chiefs are kind of the same way, but I'd say they're the better team right now. With Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill getting up in age, though, like, who means more to the their team besides Patrick Mahomes than those two guys like I know obviously those are the staple players to the Bills franchise but I don't they'll be able to replace those losses I don't know if you can replace come close to replacing I don't know man like Travis what Travis Kelsey did for Patty 100% but I don't I don't know if you'll have to for a little bit like Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer probably are going to want their due I mean at least one of them's coming off an all-pro season so they're going to want their money, and I don't know if Buffalo is going to want to pay them now that they're giving a lot of that cap to Josh Allen, whereas the Chiefs kind of know, you know, we've got to bring back these guys at whatever they want if we want to keep our team going. And if the Bills don't have a Micah Hyde or Jordan Poirier or both on the back of that defense, that becomes a bottom 10 unit. Fair. Good debate over the Chiefs. Uh, good talk over the Bengals. Joe Burr, I'll say it one more time just to trigger you a little bit. But, yeah. Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. Who would have thunk? All right. So, let's now move on to the NFC Championship matchup. And that was a hell of a game, too. Uh, didn't go to overtime, but it did come down to the wire. It was the only game over the playoffs over the past couple of weeks that ended with knees. Ended with knee downs. I mean, we've been spoiled with good football. And this was still a great game. But, final score in this one. Uh, 49ers 17, Rams 20. The Rams walk out with a win in their home stadium, if you want to call it that. Sounded like there was a lot more 49ers fans in SoFi than there was Rams fans. Um, but it didn't matter. They still walked out with the dub. They did have a comeback win, much like the Bengals. Less so. They overcame a 10-point deficit to walk away with the NFC chip. For anybody who watched the game, uh, very cringy moments, very uh, what-the-fuck-happened-there kind of moments with Jaquiski Tart. But yeah, Jaquiski Tart dropped the interception in the fourth quarter to potentially end the game, potentially because there still was like nine minutes left on the clock, but they were up 17-14, to 14, and you get that pick right there. I mean, it was obvious. You got to come down with that. And they'd be sitting at the 40 and 
then you drive it, what, like 30 yards, get a field goal, you're up two possessions, uh, two field goals at that point, one touchdown. So definitely would have been a game changer, but he drops it, and his team ends up suffering for it. Uh, Also, the mistakes were plentiful on the 49ers' side, especially from Jimmy G. On his final possession, for a chance to send his team to the Super Bowl in the biggest moment, moments that quarterbacks dream of since they're little boys. In the final possession, he goes negative three yards total, and on the last play, he coughs up an interception in very much Carson Wentz-like form. And he sends his team home. Stafford gets back the ball, and he starts seeing the ball. But I remember recalling a conversation that I had with you and Tyler, and I already gave Tyler his shit. But I remember you saying that Jimmy G doesn't make the big mistakes. Does it get any bigger than that? I don't think it does. I stand by that. I stand by that. What the fuck is he supposed to do in that play? Do you want him to just take the no, sack? No, he's got to throw down? it there. But why did he like? Why didn't he get a pass on first down, second down, third down? Like, what happened? I mean, he totaled negative two yards on the. That's final not. Possession. I mean, I'd, I'd have to. I'd have to see the I'd have to see the all twenty two, but how is that making the big mistake for him to not make a big play? How, like the big mistake is a Which turnover, right? Is it not? Which he did do as he's getting sacked on fourth down, where you have to make you know you have to throw the ball in the forward direction, or the game is over. Are you denying me the fact but, that Jimmy G doesn't? Make mis- like are you claiming that Jimmy G doesn't throw it in the double? He makes mistakes more than any other quarterback in the league. Maybe besides Ryan Tannehill. Dude, trust me, it's <laughs> it's scary watching him because I was rooting for, I was rooting for the Niners pretty hard, and like every time he threw the ball, I winced. But like I I think I was talking to I was talking to Liam throughout the first half like about how every time I, he throws the ball, I wince. But he was eight for eleven, so like. Again, like how many how many quarterbacks with guys again, I'd have to see the all twenty two, see who's open to actually dissect this. But like what do you want him to do? Hit the open guy, hit the open guy to win your if he doesn't if he doesn't, ha- if he doesn't have any if he doesn't have anything, he doesn't have anything. If he doesn't have anything, he doesn't have anything. What are the odds how many quarterbacks that Kyle Shanahan in the NFL play three no, actually four times in a row when no player on his offense is open? What are the odds that a head coach candidate, Raheem Morris, draws up a defensive play that boxes said offensive play? The only thing good about the Rams' defense is the pass rush and Jalen Ramsey. There was somebody open. There was probably multiple people open. And Eric Weddle. Eric Weddle's future <laughs> Hall of Famer. Yeah, Taylor Gray just said, I'm just praying Jimmy G doesn't end up in Pittsburgh. Vegas has us at the best odds. Oh, and he and will. And we will get he to will. that. He will. We will and get I'm to that in a couple it. seconds. But oh, he will. also, Tyler, if you're tuning into this, um, the argument you made about Jimmy G was that he doesn't make the big mistakes in big games. And I'm not sure that the moment gets any bigger than an opportunity to send your team to the NFC or to the Super Bowl. He's literally getting crunched by two football players on fourth down. Do you suppose that he just huddles up and falls no, to the ground? No, of course. I just... I just question why, like, anything would have been better than just flicking it out there. Literally, think, like, 
a fumble on the ground that another player on your team could potentially pick up would have been better than that. They can't advance it. If Jimmy G would have taken it and thrown it in between his legs and by some miracle another 49er picks up the ball and picks up one positive yard, that would have been better than any other player. So, okay, so on fourth down, instead of flicking it forward, in the direction of a player, he didn't catch it. But in the I'd direction much rather of a 49ers player, just throw it to whoever is downfield. I don't care if they're quadruple covered. I would rather see that because that actually gives you a chance. He to didn't win. have. A, he didn't have a chance. We we can we can take a TV timeout yeah. while I watch this. Yeah, if you want to, bring I'll, the receipts we'll take back a two minute here. TV timeout and I'll watch bring it. The I'll watch back the final five, man. We'll we'll be we'll back. Be back we'll be back TV next talk. week. We'll be back next I week. I can't. I can't get enough of this slander, but. All right, let's dive into some of the notable performances from this game. Uh, on the 49ers side, we're just talking about Jimmy G. <clears throat> I will give Jimmy G credit. He looked great in the first half. Like, awesome. Like, short completions, just getting his job done, making the right decision. And they were talking all game about, like, oh, this team has rallied around his quarterback. And then in the second half, he set Debo Samuel up to get almost murdered. Like, that ball was so far behind him. Debo must have been like, are you trying? To, I'm the only chance you guys stand, and you are trying to kill me. I can't imagine how pissed he was. I'm sure you got it. like, you got to question what the hell's going on there, bro. But anyway, I'm not going to get into Jimmy G again. But he goes 16 for 30, 232 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. And then Debo... Also had his game. He had four catches, 72 yards and a touchdown, and 26 yards rushing. Um, but it's sad to see the Debo Samuel season end, isn't it? I mean, that was fantastic. I'm super sad. I'm super sad because that's my guy. Like, I, I got him towards the end of the fantasy season and just rode him throughout fantasy. Then I had him in our little fantasy playoffs thing. Man, I, I love Debo. I love the way he plays. I love the He's way he runs, man. Yeah. Just uh, that that broke my heart, man. I, I loved the night. Like, I was like, why did I not wait 11 more years to pick my favorite football team? Because if I did, it'd probably been the 49ers. And nobody, everybody on the planet that appreciates football even a little bit and knows what's been going on this season gasped when Debo Samuel went down. I mean, you just don't want to, like, I was rooting for the Rams. I don't want to see that. I want him to be, and then it would have been like, oh, what would it have been if Debo were in the game? Like, it would have been a different story. I'm glad we didn't get any of that, you know? It was mano on mano, uh, team at 100% versus team at 100%, which you love to see. All right, let's dive into the Rams side of things real quick. Uh, Stafford continues his dominance in the playoffs. He went 31 for 45. 337 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. He has multiple passing touchdowns in every playoff game so far, and he has more than 333 yards passing in two of those three. Mitchell was like, or when we were talking on the podcast last time, he was like, I'm not sure Matthew Stafford at full strength is a threat. Okay, I'll keep the receipts on that one. He didn't play that well. You don't he think didn't? so? For for as terrible as Jimmy G is, and he outscored him by three points, 
No quarterback. Like what? Stafford is the one that's able to get that ball to Cooper Cup. It can't, this game is zero points for the Rams if Jared Goff is that quarterback. That's all I gotta say, bro. Anyway, he's been balling out um in his first real playoff campaign, and now he's got to the Super Bowl. So love to see that. Uh Cooper Cup continues his absolute disregard for human life this year. He went 11 catches, 142 yards, and two touchdowns. He is now the first player in NFL history with 2,000 receiving yards, uh, and that counts regular season and the playoffs. So we can we can start calling him uh, CK2K, you know, Cooper Cup 2K, CJ2K. Yeah, you like that? Yeah, I like uh, I'll take the approve the subtle nod. Took me, took of me a minute. Yeah. Thanks, man. But another receiver who also balled out in this one, OBJ, continues to look like OBJ of old. He had nine catches and 113 yards in this one. I want to ask you a question, man, as we dive into the debate portion of this game. With OBJ playing how he's been playing, I mean, at an elite level, really looking like that, wide receiver he was in New York, you know, just a little more seasoned. Um, do you think he stays in L.A.? Because his contract's up after this year. Um, obviously, has that connection with Stafford, though. But you do have the issue. Bobby Trees, Mr. Robert Woods, is signed on contract until, like, 2025. So do you think OBJ stays in L.A.? If so, what does it look like when Bobby Trees comes back? And overall, who would you prefer? Robert Woods, OBJ. Go ahead. I I think they should just move on from Cooper Cup and then slide OBJ in there. And then I, th- I think the <laughs> – no. Um, I mean, it makes the most sense that OBJ would just end up leaving just because there's not really a spot for him on this team if Robert Woods comes back. However, if Sean McVay and the Rams front office fall in love with OBJ and say, you know what, it's worth trading Robert Woods to keep this guy – that's kind of up to them. I think Odell Beckham's a better player. He'll be a better player next year. He's a couple years younger than Robert Woods. Um, I'm trying to figure out what kind of market OBJ would garner if he does hit the open market and he does leave the Rams and what kind of teams would be in the market for OBJ because it seems as if the problem wasn't with OBJ as much as the problem was with the Cleveland Browns or you know whatever you want to blame that on. Because now he's playing it, you know, a borderline elite level. Now that he's in L.A. playing with a high-powered offense, I think that a lot of teams that have high-powered offenses, yeah, well, yeah, okay. But you'd add him into maybe a Kansas City or a wherever Aaron Rodgers goes, and I, I think you could see good things, but how much do you pay him? With like the history that he has, I think with playing like, uh, with the way he's playing right now, does he get does he get more yeah. than Michael Gallup? <laughs> I think he gets twelve mil a year, easy, because that's what what uh, Corey Davis made twelve yeah. mil a year. Ten to twelve. I think he might like even that. get up to like fifteen. Yeah. I mean, he is playing at that's he's really big like a superstar though. right now. That's a I mean, really. It's big not bet. like he's just wide open and he's catching these balls and they're setting him up for success, like. These are difficult catches to make. And the only... He's separating really well, too. 
He's yeah, separating exactly. really well, like, too. That's what I said when I said seasoned. Like, he just looks like he knows more about the game of football now, and he's able to get himself open in ways that he couldn't before. I mean, he's playing, like, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL right now. Like, if he can keep this up, and his just, like, his ability to bring down those catches, and I know that sounds generic uh, when you're talking about receivers, but if you throw a ball his way, the only one that he didn't catch was the one that was, like, five feet behind him. Like, that was the only ball he didn't catch. Anything else that was in a relative radius, he was coming down with it. And I think so many teams are going to be in the market for OBJ. I think he's boosted his value back up to similar to what it was when he left New York. You know, obviously it's not going to be ever that high again because of how young he was and how dominant he was back then. But I really do think OBJ is back. But... As far as the situation with the Rams, I don't know, man. It's difficult for me. Like, you got a lot of guys yeah. to take care of. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think it almost might be time to move on from Robert Woods because, I mean, I think you're preferring OBJ over Robert Woods right now. I mean, I saw, we all saw what Robert Woods did in the regular season. You know, it was nothing spectacular. So, definitely that clear second option. But OBJ looks like the number one option. So, if you can find a way to possibly trade Robert Woods, maybe get some of that draft capital back that you've spent so much time giving away, I think that would be a smart move for LA. What do you think about that, shipping Woods out of town? Or just continue to go all in and just have all three of them there and just let one of them be unhappy, and it'll probably be Odell Beckham. Um, just, just bring in as, bring in as much talent as you possibly can through draft picks, through free agency, through whatever. And just, if you know, if they win, go back at it. And if they lose, just run it back, you know, try and bring all the guys back. I do think though, that I think Von Miller also kind of factors into this decision because you're either going to pay him. And I know him and Odell both talked about teaming up and they obviously decided to go to LA together. So, you know, do they go somewhere else together or do they stay in L.A. together? Or do the Rams have to make a decision to pick one of those two guys? I think obviously they're going to opt for Von Miller because, A, he's probably going to be cheaper and, B, they have Robert Woods. So it's it's going to be a lot of questions even if they win a Super Bowl this offseason as far as what the Rams are going to yeah, do moving sure. forward. And real quick, I mean, what we saw against the 49ers was elite from both those guys. So... Considering the potential of OBJ, I mean, he probably only has, like, what, like, a solid three years left where he's going to be competing at this level. Do you think Cooper Cup, well, let me phrase it like this. Cooper Cup and OBJ will be the best wide receiver duo since Enter the Blank. Uh, If they play I don't know, like because this, this really all depends on... Those are two of the most polarizing players as far as where do you rank them among their peers in the NFL? Because, like, there's the argument of, okay, Cooper Cup is probably the best receiver in the NFL. Look at the stats. Or you look at the 5'11 white guy uh, and you say there's no way in hell he's top 15. And then you've got a similar situation with OBJ where it's like, do you think of him as how talented he was or do you remember his days in Cleveland? So I don't really know. Uh, the first pair that came to mind was A.B. and Juju, obviously. That one one or two seasons where they were like really, really playing well together. 
Um, I mean, like maybe you think Jefferson and Thielen. Yeah. I don't. Godwin I don't know. and Evans. That's some like Godwin and Evans. Yeah. Or I mean, AB and any of that. Any pairing of those three guys when they were together last yeah, year. Yeah, but like I mean, but as far it's... as like putting up the numbers go, like Evans and Godwin is the first one that comes to mind. But other than that. AB, AB and Juju, it's AB and Juju if you're going by numbers. Because, I mean, you got to think, what, two or three years ago, Juju was, like, the number one yeah. dynasty wide receiver in the NFL. And they also had AB, who was probably top five, at least as far as current rankings. Like, statistically, it was that. If Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb start playing better together, then they'll secede uh, Cooper Cup and OBJ, probably. But... Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, that's a dynamic duo you got there for sure, for sure. The next piece of news that we got to cover or the next topic is something that Mr. Taylor Gray mentioned earlier, and it's Jimmy G. Reports are at a 49ers camp right now that they are currently exploring trade options for Mr. Jimmy Garoppolo, the Italian stallion. And the odds in Vegas are sitting pretty interesting right now. So let me read it off to you. Uh, The current odds. It's Steelers plus 400, Washington plus 400. And then the other two teams, you got the Bucks at plus 550. And then you got the Broncos at plus 600. Um, We were talking a little bit about it in the text chat. Uh, Personally, I would... Jimmy G would not fit in Washington. That is not the kind of quarterback we need. We need a dynamic quarterback who can take advantage of Like an Aaron Rodgers type guy. I mean, somebody somebody that's like, that can (laughs) throw the ball downfield. Like, we don't need a game manager quarterback. We need a franchise guy. But the Steelers are already set up pretty nice. Give your case for Jimmy G being the next quarterback in Pittsburgh. Well, uh, we've... The one problem that I do see with this is he is slotted to make $35 million and the 49ers want to get rid of as much of that as possible to, you know, kind of bring back guys like Debo Samuel, Nick Bosa. Those guys are going to be up for extensions very soon. Uh, And we've said that we don't really want to trade for a guy. We'd opt for drafting a quarterback as opposed to going out and trading for Rodgers or Russ. I don't know if that same thing applies to Jimmy Garoppolo because obviously his price is going to be much cheaper, but. I think if you put Jimmy G back into the system that he was drafted for, the quick hitting, you know, these little routes, quick offense that he was drafted to in New England, I think he will do a lot better. I do think that the pressure that we have decided to put all of our quarterbacks under by running out five glorified tight ends at the offensive line is going to be a small problem because he has not handled pressure very well. I mean, you look at how he played on Sunday with – Trent Williams and, you know, the rest of the guys they have on that line, that's a little scary. But I think, you know, you give him playmakers very similarly to how he has it in San Francisco, where you've got a Najee Harris, a Deontay Johnson, a Pat Fryermuth, Chase Claypool, and you just let him feed those guys the ball, I think he'll be okay. I'm not saying, you know, we don't need to draft the quarterback for the next eight years, but if we want to bring him in as a bridge guy, because obviously this class is not the strongest, if we want to bring him in this year and get a guy next year i'd feel terrible for jimmy g after all that he's been through i mean he was supposed to be tom brady's replacement and he has since been he would have been replaced by trey lance and then whoever we go get next year if he is a bridge guy but i personally would like to see him in pittsburgh because not only does bringing him in mean we can you know look offensive line in the draft just i think we need a bridge quarterback as opposed to going after or trading up for a guy this year 
There you go. And I mentioned in the text chat earlier, and you've already said it, like, that Pittsburgh offense is already set up exactly like that, you know? Like, it's... Jimmy G will step in and do what Big Ben has done over the past two years, and I'm not trying to throw any disrespect, just better, you know? Like, he's going to... Big Ben's not used to that quick-hitting stuff, you know? Like, he was one of the best arms in football for the longest time, you know? So, he's not... And the best at extending plays, like, bar none. Right. And he was kind of forced into... Well, I mean, he forced himself because of his ability, but... He was kind of forced into an offense uh, towards the end of his career that was quick hitting, like you said. But it worked, you know. It won them ball games, and you put in a quarterback who's better suited to do that exact same thing. It can only mean better things for a Steelers team that made the playoffs this year. So, yeah. All right, good talk over Jimmy G. There, uh, please stay as well, far real, from real. Washington like, as possible, please. I was just about to say, like, how. How angry would you be if you guys sent a second for him? I don't even know if I want to get into that. I almost started screaming. Um, so, 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 what is your plan at quarterback next year? Would you rather draft. go first round with what eleven? Go Pickett or Corral? Mm-hmm. Do you have a preference between those two guys, or do you have a preference between another guy? Or uh, apparently, Malik Willis is looking really good at all the practices. God, right bless now. you. Sure. Um, yeah, I've, I know. It's from risky. what I've watched on film from him, it's a lot of Jalen Hurts. Like I said, when we were, we went over the mock draft, it's a lot of like bailing from clean pockets to use your athleticism, scrambling to run and not scrambling to pass. Just the processing isn't quite there yet. He's got a freaking banana peel for an arm, though. He is like he he's got an arm. So if you can get the mental side of things down for him, he's gonna be fine. But do I trust Washington, who has had more quarterbacks than I can count on two hands in the last, what, six or seven years to develop a guy like that? Probably not. So that's why I think that's kind of risky yeah, for you Yeah, we guys. have had a very bad history with developing quarterbacks. But there's more potential. I mean, we know what we have in Jimmy G. I mean, we know he's obviously not that franchise guy. We're in need. And you guys, you guys are set up to win now. Good for you. Get a bridge quarterback that you can still win with right now with how the roster is constructed. Uh, Our roster is built as a rebuild right now. Um, Outside of our defense. Outside of our defense. I mean, I was about to say, you got to think. Yeah, I think this time last year, you're thinking about this team should win the division. This team could win the division. You go get a quarterback and we're, we're in Super Bowl contention. And not that much has changed roster wise. I mean, what we saw this season was not what we saw in the season prior, but a lot of those guys are still there. You're going to get Chase Young yeah, well, back. That, that only hopefully someone can find a way to use Terry McLaurin. My point, like all the guys that we have that are core pieces are young and can stick around for another two years, two three years until we. But the question is, developed. when do you when do you buy in? Uh, we buy in in like three years when we see how this draft quarterback works out. You know, we are at a crossroads once again, but let's hope one of Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, and Matt Corral work out, you know, but it's definitely not going to be Jimmy G because we're not looking for a bridge quarterback right now. Uh, we can afford Vegas says otherwise, man. to draft a quarterback and wait a couple years and see him develop, you know, so even though our quarterback development is not the best, uh, we've got some time, you know. 
It's probably the worst. Probably the worst, man. Thanks. <laughs> probably. All right. Let's move on from the uh, Jimmy G to Washington or Pittsburgh talk. Um, and let's move on to the league notes section. I've kind of changed the name of this section a few times. Uh, just trying to see what sticks. But, yeah, we're rolling with league notes today. And the big story coming off the wire today was Brian Flores filing a class action lawsuit, a.k.a. suing, um, the NFL for racial discrimination. So he has also sued the Giants, the Dolphins, and the Broncos, um, all teams while well, he's fired from the Dolphins, obviously. But Giants and Broncos, both of those jobs he was in contention for, and he's now suing them. Uh, actually, the Broncos was back in 2019, which I'll dive into right now. But in this 53-page lawsuit, um, he claims a bunch of things, and there's a lot to dissect here, so let's dive into it a little bit. Um, back in 2019, he claims that John Elway and a couple of other team executives who helped conduct the interview um, showed up late to Brian Flores' interview in 2019, and according to him, they appeared still drunk from the night before. So that's wild. And then also in 2019, he claims that the Dolphins owner, um, Steve Ross, offered him $100,000 for each loss. Um, and apparently, Brian Flores refused to do this. But I'm not going to lie to you, it didn't look like he was refusing. Because they looked pretty dead set on losing games that year, you know. So I don't know if that's 100% true. Um, but I definitely believe that that offer was thrown out there for sure. And then more recently, he has the screenshots of texts from Bill Belichick. And this is no huge surprise because Flores used to be an assistant under Belichick. But apparently Bill Belichick texted him and said that he was the favorite to win the Giants job. And then he was like, oh, my bad. I misread the text. Uh, apparently Dable is going to New York. I'm sorry. And then that was even before Flores interviewed. So absolutely bizarre there. Um, one thing I will say, I didn't picture, did you see the text from Belichick? I'm, I didn't yeah. picture him as that animated in real life. I mean, obviously he doesn't express himself that way, but maybe like just in text, he thinks that that's how you're supposed to text. You're supposed to be excited to use yeah, your cell phone. I so, just expected, I, I, I had never pictured Bill Belichick saying more than two words in a text. But anyway, that happened. And he's claiming that he has had sham interviews, um, especially with the Broncos and with the Giants. And the Giants are refluting this claim currently. They said he was in consideration. Flores was in consideration until the 11th hour, which apparently isn't true if Dable got picked as the head coach before he even interviewed. Um, but these sham interviews have been something that have developed as a trend because you need to fulfill the Rooney rule, which requires NFL teams to interview a certain amount of minority head coaches for their positions. Um, so that was all the claims that he made, basically and a lot of uh, racial discrimination. And he said, and I quote Brian Flores, 
He said, in making the decision to file the class action complaint today, I understand that I may be risking coaching the game that I love and that has done so much for my family and me. So he's fully aware of it, but do you think Brian Flores ever coaches again in the NFL? 100%. I think that if I think that if people knew that he was willing to take a defensive coordinator job, which I'm not 100% sure he is, I think that he would get his his phone would be ringing off the hook because he is a good coach. He 100% is a good coach. Sometimes his coaching style may clash with guys. There was a report that came out that uh if Flores wasn't in Miami that Tom Brady would be would have just retired as a Dolphin and not retired as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. But he is a very, very good coach. Uh, he coached the Dolphins to back-to-back winning seasons, if I'm not mistaken, or very close to it this past year. They're not a winning team. They're not, they don't have a winning roster. That's pretty much all him. I just, I don't think that he's, I, I don't know. I think that 100% he deserves a job in the NFL. Deserves uh, one thing. I don't know what to think of the Rooney rule. I think he'll get it eventually. It's not going to be this year, and it may not be next year either because you got I don't I don't know what the court date is for all of this. Like that might be, let's say it's in like October or November or something like that. Then all of that is fresh in everybody's mind again. Some people are worried about hiring him, but the Rooney Rule. I feel like kind of what happened to him. Like you know, it it's kind of shitty to do, but it happens all the time. For Christ's sakes, Heinz Ward got interviewed for the Jaguars job. He is the wide receivers coach at FAU, Florida Atlantic. He doesn't even he doesn't even deserve the head coaching job at FAU. Talking about your much less like an NFL this? head coaching job. I love Heinz Ward. I love Heinz Ward to death. But I have named me one positional coach that you've seen make the jump from positional coach to head coach of the NFL. That has never happened. I, I don't even know why they did that. There are plenty of head coaches of color that you could go out and interview, Brian Flores being one of them, that could have filled that requirement. Um, so I understand where he's coming from. I don't know if it's like – I don't know how many people would be willing to put their job on the line to go do this and go file a lawsuit. Yeah. I'll just say that. And this is this is a sensitive subject, obviously, like the whole Kaepernick thing was. Um Nobody's going to comment on their opinions of this situation, you know. Um, you know, he's taking a stand for his people, and he's fully aware that this decision could result in him not getting an NFL job in the future, but he's standing up for what he believes in. You, you got to respect exactly. that. And um, I will say, he may be right, you know. And we saw this with Kaepernick. Like, he may be right, but that doesn't change the fact that you're going up in arms against the NFL. Like, they, and organizations, not even to mention, like, Kaepernick didn't file a class action lawsuit against the NFL and multiple individual organizations, you know. He just took a stand on the field, didn't do anything official, you know. And many people would believe that Colin Kaepernick still deserves a job in the NFL to this day, you know. And, I mean, he's a guy who led the 49ers to the Super Bowl, and... He didn't get any calls. Ten years you know? ago. So, I think we've seen it before. Even though he may be right, the NFL doesn't want to take this blemish, and no team wants to take that on. 
and then be the subject of the NFL just coming down on you for the next five, six years, you know, however long Flores is there, you know, no organization wants to face that fire. And it's not Flores's fault, you know, like no team wants to face that fire and it has not worked well for individuals who go up against the NFL. So I don't think he'll coach again. I don't think anybody's going to want to touch it, but it's sad because Brian Flores is definitely a hell of a football coach and definitely deserves a job. But yeah, it'll definitely change the league for the years to come. You know, it'll remain to be seen how that change happens. All right, let's move on to what would have been the story of the day had it not been Brian Flores. But Tom Brady, the GOAT himself, has officially called it a career today. He officially announced it on Instagram. Um, Over the weekend, Schefter came out with a report that Tom Brady would be retiring, and there were multiple sources that confirmed this, and then his agent came out, and he was like, I'm not going to comment on the legitimacy, but Tom will be the only one to announce this. And then a couple days later, today, Tom Brady announces his retirement officially. And... I mean, we're not about to dive into Tom Brady's career accolades. I mean, everybody knows the story. He's got three different Hall of Fame careers in one. Yeah, He'd be here for a he little bit. He'd be here for a little bit. But 22 seasons of absolute masterfulness. I mean, the goat of our lifetime, you know, and the goat of all time. So one thing that was very interesting. The greatest of all time I mean, of all time. Is there a better way to describe Tom Brady, the greatest of all time of all time? The goat oat. Yeah, the, the goat, goat oat. Amen. I respect it. But um, something interesting that he did not mention in his retirement post was the New England Patriots, where he spent the majority of his NFL career and won very many Super Bowls. Uh, he did end up retweeting the Pats posts and like kind of like quoting the tweet. And it's interesting. Uh, there was a report that came out earlier today that he would sign a one-day contract with the Patriots and then retire, but that report is false. So besides the uh, quoting of the tweet, just kind of like, oh, hey, guys, yeah, you know, thanks. Um, besides that weird little thing, no mention of the Patriots, how would you feel if you were a Pats fan? Uh, I don't know. That's kind of that's kind of a kick in the nuts. Like, I, I kind of expected at least something. Like, when I saw that report, I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense, but... That kind of just shows how sour the relationship got between him and Bill towards the end for him to not even mention the team that he spent 20 years of his career with, won six Super Bowls with uh, in his retirement. Like, that's going to be that's going to be talked about for a while. If I was a Pats fan, I would be pretty pissed right now at the guy that you looked up to for so long doing it that way. It's fucked up. I agree. I mean, no mention of the Pats, just a quote tweet. Come on. Of the quarterback that you looked up to your entire lifetime, if you're a Pats fan, it's fucked up is what it is. But, you know, Tom Brady can do what he pleases. The fact that he's retired, the fact that he's retiring as a buck, I think, is offensive enough. Like, I know that you've got your problems with Bill and you might have your problems with Robert Kraft, too. But, like, man, how do you not go back and retire? Like, every single legend that you can think of, like all these quarterbacks that Montana went to the Chiefs. Like all these Johnny Nitus with the Chargers or something like some team I can't remember off that bad. They go off and go with another team to finish their career. 
they always go back and, right. you know, f- re-sign with that team for the one day. And the fact that the greatest player of all time that played for the franchise that is, I mean, you could argue that they're the greatest franchise of all time just off of tw- the 20 years that Tom Brady was there. The fact that he's not going back yeah, there is a slap sure. in the face. Definitely questionable move, but it's Tom Brady. He can do whatever the hell he wants. So, yeah, you were at the mercy of Tom Brady. But uh, we were talking about it last pod, and we were trying to think up some names that were still hanging around. But I've, uh, I've got the specifics here for you. But it's really the end of an era, man. I mean, all the quarterbacks that we watched and that had not been drafted since we were alive or early on, while we, like, I mean, guys that we don't remember being drafted are now – all gone you know outside of Aaron Rodgers and Joe Flacco and Matt Ryan but absolutely insane I mean all the guys that we praised for so many years are now out of the league it's a brand new NFL man it's sad the notable oldest quarterback left or quarterbacks left uh you've got Aaron Rodgers sitting at 38 he is the oldest active quarterback in the NFL and not even sure if he's going to come back and then you drop down to 36 you got Joe Flacco, and you got Matt Ryan. And then you drop down to 34, and you got Andy Dalton. And then you drop down to 33, and you got Kirk Cousins, Matt Stafford, Russell Wilson, Ryan Tannehill. So definitely a new era, bro. I know. Jesus. Ryan Tannehill just threw me for a loop. Like, I know Russ is getting old, but, like, I think it was the late career resurgence that we got from Ryan Tannehill that made me think that he's still, like, 28, 29. The fact that he's, what, the sixth oldest quarterback in the league is mind-blowing. For sure. Um, These these are just the notable oldest quarterbacks, I will say that. Uh, Guys like Brian Hoover and Chad Henney are still involved in the NFL somehow. But, um... Okay. That's a relief. (laughs) But... Actually, Tannehill was the first guy I mentioned when I was thinking of guys. I have no clue why. I just remember it, like, as far as, like, farthest draft that I can think back is Tannehill coming out of Texas A&M, Russell Wilson. Yeah, he was. Kirk yeah. Cousins. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the oldest draft that I can remember, the RG3 Andrew Luck draft. So, yeah, wild stuff. All right, let's move on from the uh, reminiscing about past times. And... Who's the quarterback going to be in Tampa Bay next year, man? Uh, honestly, we didn't think we were going to be in this spot trying to figure out who the next quarterback of the Buccaneers is going to be. But it's time to start thinking about it. Uh, the odds in Vegas right now, uh, Jimmy G is also the favorite in Tampa Bay at plus 400. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater is plus 575. And then Kyle Trask, who is the only quarterback on the roster, is plucks or plucks. Uh, plus 600. So, what do you think, man? Do you go full rebuild here, or do you look for a bridge quarterback to hang on to that core whilst you got it? Whew. I think you have to hang on to a bridge quarterback. It's going to be really hard to blow up this roster that has a quality player at every big position group, at least at least one. You got to think you'd be getting rid of Fournette would leave. Uh, Godwin's might be out the door. AB's obviously way gone. Uh, Gronk, who I mean, you you yeah, got to think Gronk's 100%. done, right? Gronk's yeah. Gronk's probably done. Yeah. Uh, and like, if you really wanted to blow it up, you'd be getting rid of Indomitian Sue, Jason Pierre-Paul, uh, 
Levante David's probably gone. The corners are all free agents the next two years. Like you would have to, you would have to work really hard to blow this roster up. So I think if you can bring in a bridge guy like Jimmy Garoppolo to play for this team, I mean, they're still a playoff team if Jimmy G comes. If Jimmy G's there, uh, I definitely think that they shouldn't. Looks, though. I mean, it's. Nah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not gonna say. It. I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna. It's. Brady retired today. You know what? He's he's great. This team will be awful without him next year. Um, I do think that they should keep uh, drafting a quarterback in the back of their mind. They will be picking at 20, 29, 30, something like that, or 27, something like somewhere in the bottom of the draft uh, where there'll probably be two or three guys gone. Desmond Ritter, Carson Strong, Sam Howell, maybe Malik Willis is still there. Um. You know, you could definitely go that route. Let's hold on to some draft capital because you're going to have to start drafting more young guys because this team is largely predicated on veterans ever since He's you brought Brady in. in so you're going to have some holes to fill very soon. Interesting stuff. You know, we never thought we would be thinking about this. Uh, personally, obviously Kyle Trask is not going to be the long-term or even short-term quarterback for the Buccaneers. I don't think there's a shot. What, what what do we think about Blaine Gabbard though? I should Blaine Gabbard wasn't even on the odds list. Now, now he 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 should. I was about to say he, he should have fell into the notable old quarterbacks list because he was in Tannehill's class, if I'm not mistaken. Dude, no, he was in Cam Newton's class. I'm pretty sure Tannehill was in yeah, Cam Newton's class right. though. Wow. Yeah. Bizarre. But um, Jake, Jake Locker, Locker and um. Who was the Viking? Yeah. Christian Ponder. Yeah. Christian Ponder. That was, that Pull was that out of your ass. <laughs> Good stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, I think you – I think it makes the most sense to go with a bridge quarterback, obviously. I mean, you've been talking about it. And also, you don't want to try to get a quarterback in this class if you can avoid it. You know, like the quarterback class next year. I mean, imagine if the Bucks they get a bridge quarterback this year and, God forbid, they shit the bed – but then they end up with what? Like, let's just say a top five pick, and they end up with C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, and then they're right back into the thick of things, you know? Of course, you do have Mike Evans getting up in age and a very depleted receiving core at this point. Lenny's gone. But, I mean, I think one more year you got with this team, you got a bridge quarterback for one year, and then you go all in on the quarterback class next year. So, yeah, it's just my thoughts. All right, let's move on to the next piece of news that we got, and that is Josh McDaniels, the longtime Patriots offensive coordinator, Bill Belichick's right-hand man, has taken the Las Vegas Raiders job, the Las Vegas head coaching vacancy. So the Raiders officially announced that Josh McDaniels would be their next head coach on Monday, but you look back on it, I mean... There's no question that Josh McDaniels is an offensive genius, and I think this is a home run hire. But he's had an interesting uh, coaching, uh, head coaching experience. Um, in Bronco er, in Denver, he was hired as a head coach from 2009 to 2010, and he started that season six and zero, but then he finished two and eight. And he was claiming in his uh, press conference today or yesterday 
that he just didn't know the people aspect of football, so that's why he struggled as a head coach. But honestly, not too shabby, starting 6-0, and you know. But um, then went back to the Patriots, ended up being their offensive coordinator, obviously, until today or until a couple days ago. But he was set to become the Colts head coach in 2018, which was a bizarre experience, if you remember it, uh, because he backed out at the very last minute. But I want to ask you, man, why the Raiders? Because my first thought when I heard that he was going to Las Vegas is like, what attracts you so much about the Vegas job that it makes you want to come out of your hole in New England that you've buried yourself down in for so many years? Um, Just some recent notable head coaching vacancies. Uh, You had the Packers in 2019. You had the Bucks in 2019, which the Bucks at that point weren't set up for greatness yet, but um, yeah. still had some solid peaches, peaches, pieces. <laughs> uh, but you had the Cowboys job in 2020, uh, the Chargers job, who they just gave to Brandon Staley this year, and then you had the Broncos job this year. Like, why wouldn't you take any of those jobs? Over the Vegas job. Any theories? Well, I mean, I don't remember him getting interviewed this year by anybody else. Like, I don't know of anybody else that interviewed Josh McDaniels this year. I think you can go and look at the GM that the Raiders just hired. They hired uh, Patriots exec Dave Ziegler. Ziegler, I don't know how to say his last name. But I think bringing him in, I think Ziegler how the fuck you say his name, brought in a big, you know, that was one of the reasons why they brought him in. I don't know if it's the money. I don't know what it is. Uh, it's it's really tough to know. But you have Derek Carr, who was probably the best quarterback among all the teams that have head coaching vacancies. You can argue him or Kirk Cousins. Uh, but like I said, I don't think he got interviewed by anybody else. And if he wanted to get out of the shadow of Bill Belichick for the first time in, you know, like you've said, a couple years, I, I remember Josh McDaniels being in head coaching talks for as long as I can remember because he was the guy that manufactured the Patriots offense, the guy that kept Tom Brady going into his 30s and into his late 30s and kept that offense successful and productive. So, you know, there's obviously some appeal to that. I just, I don't know. I think the Raiders have a long way to go even after the great season that they had. And I think it is an, not a travesty, because I know that he's not like he's not the best head coaching candidate out there. But Rich Basaccia needs to be hired somewhere to do something. He's a great guy. Like you see all the Raiders players posting their stories with him and you know how great of a guy he is. I saw a picture of him writing he was in the hotel after the Cincinnati game, like immediately after the Cincinnati game, writing thank you letters to all the players for how well they played this season and you know after all they've been through the fact that he could carry them to the playoffs man i i got ultimate respect for that guy that'll go a long way i mean he'll definitely have a job with someone you know i mean he led this raiders team to the playoffs when people looked and said no shot you know like after gruden was fired it was the world was falling down and it wasn't just Derek Carr building up this team (laughs) and then rugs and then damon arnett well that's the thing like why would you – what is so attractive about a team that has cut their past two first-round picks? I mean, 
that's sad. Well, the guy that was making those first round picks is gone, but supposedly because there, I I heard a story that Gruden would make the first like two or three selections, and then Mayock would do the rest. Like, what kind of process is that? That is like literally the worst process you can possibly think of. So, yeah, we make fun of Mayock and how bad they've drafted, but. Like, should they have given him this draft to see how he does by himself without Gruden in his ear all the time? I don't know, but they've got a guy in there who's been with New England, and he's obviously done a great job putting that team back together after yeah, Brady for left. Sure, for sure. It's just bizarre to me. I can't believe out of all the, like, the Packers or the Cowboys, like, why not? I don't – and a bigger attest, a testament to – um, what Josh McDaniels can do is what he did with Mac Jones this year. You know, rookie quarterback, probably the least valued quarterback prospect out of the first-round quarterbacks that were drafted. And he ended up being the best this year. I mean, he was in, uh, they might have been fake for a little bit, but he was in MVP talks for a while. I mean, what he was able to do with Mac Jones is absolutely, I mean, it looked exactly like the Brady offense, you know? So you can almost plug in any short completion guy into a Josh McDaniels offense, and it's going to blow up. And Derek Carr has a lot more potential than just a dink and dunk guy. So, yeah, I'm going to like it. It'll be interesting to see what Vegas okay. has got this year. Um, let's move on uh, to another head coach hiring that we saw this week, and that was Brian Dable. Going to the New York Giants, um, he was officially announced as the head coach on Monday, uh, just like McDaniels was. He has 21 years of NFL experience, but more recently, he was the offensive coordinator at Alabama in 2017, and then he was the Bills offensive coordinator, as we all know, from 2018 to 2021, um, and he was credited, you mentioned it on the Instagram post, he was credited with the development of Josh Allen, and... We were talking about it on the last pod. I thought the New York Giants job would be the last job to go, maybe outside the Saints, just because ownership has already committed you to your quarterback, you know? Like, it's not your choice. Like, whatever coach was going to come in in New York has to realize that Danny Dimes is going to be your quarterback because they've already committed to him. So I thought it was going to be hard for them to find a guy for that job and find a head coach with it that is okay with Danny Dimes representing his head coaching success. But apparently Brian Dable is that guy, and he remains hopeful in Daniel Jones, Danny Dimes. Uh, in the press conference, uh, his introductory press conference, he said, we're going to try and implement a system that suits him, and then it's our job to bring pieces in that help him to be the best version of himself and the best quarterback for us. And when asked about comparisons to Josh Allen, uh, he said, I wouldn't do that to Daniel or really any other player. I think that's unfair. And it's very unfair to compare any human being on the planet to Josh Allen, besides Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert. But I want to ask you, man, do you think Daniel Jones can be saved? Real quick, notice how you didn't say Joe Burrow. Hmm. That is how you didn't say Joe Burrow and you said Justin Herbert. Ah. Athletic prowess. Ah. That's true. But, yeah. yeah, man, do you think Daniel Jones can be saved? Do you think he can be salvaged of his draft value? 
Tell yeah, me, brother. I think he can. Uh, I did see a funny tweet that said, uh, like, quote tweeting about Brian Dable saying that they're going to create the system around him, and they were like, ah, the first fumble-oriented offense. Um, but I, I think that they could definitely figure some stuff out here, give him maybe a little bit better of an offensive line to work with, uh, and bringing in Joe Schoen, who's probably the best GM candidate that was out there, you bring him in. I pretty much knew that Dable had that job locked up as soon as they brought him in because they're going to bring Dable with him and he can bring that continuity. You don't have to learn a new system as a GM. And while they say, you know, they are committed to Daniel Jones, they're only really committed through this season. If they're saying they're committed now, if he goes out and stinks up the place, they're going to get rid of him next year because, you know, you can't continue to waste Saquon, who's, you know, already starting to show wear on his tires so you've got to kind of capitalize on i guess what you'd call a window for the giants i don't i don't really know how to describe their situation right now well it all depends on how well daniel jones does you know it's a window if he sucks this year it's a franchise run if he's actually good this year you know so yeah personally uh, it's looking like the smart quarterback theory has not been working out so far. Like, or not so far, but recently, you know. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you heard a lot. And outside of Mac Jones, who apparently was a 4.0 student and knew. And by smart quarterbacks, I mean, like, all quarterbacks are smart, obviously. They're smart enough to be a quarterback in the National Football League. But guys who can memorize an offense like that, you know, like super quick, like 4.0 students, like guys that just know the game so well and can diagnose blitzes and yada, yada, yada. But you heard a lot about that for Mac Jones, and obviously that's a uh, exception. But Trey Lance, a lot of people talked about how he was really smart, and that's why the 49ers moved up and drafted him, because he knew the game so well. And that's why people drafted, or that's why the Giants drafted Daniel Jones. So, like, nobody really saw Daniel Jones going that early, but they just glowed about his football intelligence. But Or were they so scared of Dwayne Haskins' football intelligence? That's fair. Hey, like you guys took him. Of it. No, we're not. God bless he is. He has a 50% chance as of now to be the starting quarterback next year. So wow. enjoy that football knowledge. Good oh, luck. I will. <laughs> All right. Let's move on from the Danny Dimes talk to talk about our last topic of debate. And it now changes with the context that we got from the chat and from keeping an eye out on the cell phone. Uh, Jim Harbaugh is set to be the next Minnesota Vikings head coach. So I was going to say, is he the best candidate available? And was that the best job available? And I'll go ahead and ask that question again. Do you feel that Jim Harbaugh was the most qualified candidate left? And was the Minnesota job the best job available left? So I think if I'm not, what is it? Jacksonville, um, I'm trying to think of the other openings off the top of my head. Is it just Jacksonville? Houston? In Minnesota? Uh, yeah, just the, the Saints, openings that are the Saints, the Saints. The Texans. Jags. 
Jags. Vikings, and I think that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 100%. I think Minnesota's the best opening still available. I am looking on Twitter right now, and I'm seeing that uh, it's not confirmed. Like, it's not like Schefter. I'm not that Schefter is extremely reliable anymore, but Rappaport, none of those big guys are confirming it. But I'm seeing a lot of like, the plan is that he's going to get the job. Jim Harbaugh is apparently very confident that he's going to land the job. So I think that might be a lot of what it's coming from uh, of like the news that he's got the job is that he thinks he has the job, but if he's there, uh, I don't really know how that works to be totally honest with you because they bring in the new GM don't know how to pronounce his name. No disrespect to him, but he is, I mean, he was an analytics major. For God's sakes, he was brought Mafia in. Thank you. He's an analytics guy. He was brought in to study the analytics of football, and that's how he worked his way up to become a GM. Jim Harbaugh does not seem like a man that does a whole lot, if anything at all, with analytics. He seems like a, this is a good football player. I'm going to trade for this football player, or I'm going to draft this football player. Um, So I don't know how that's going to well, work. I don't know if they're going to butt like... heads because... It's not like Harbaugh is the like. It's not like a head coach of a football team is the head of analytics. You know what I mean? He's not. No, but like Andy Reid's not sitting in the war room. Like, oh shit, what was his uh, average air yards per pass? Like, it's not like that. You know, there is there is some questions that can come because, like you say, you know, this. uh, uh, I don't know. Let's say their GM really likes a guy in the draft and he's point pulling up all these analytics things that prove that why he's good. And Harbaugh's like, look at, look at his, look at his bench press, look at his 40 time, look at all this shit, look at his film. He's better than this guy. And then they clash over that. Like that, that is not an unrealistic thing of, that could happen. No. And you don't want to have divide in the war room on draft night. Cause that just leads to, you know, the Raiders. That's true. Um, you are aware though, that, if Harbaugh felt the interview went well, that interview was with Mr. Analytics. So No, but the interview's tomorrow. Oh. He feels confident that he's going to get the job and the interview hasn't even happened yet. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's definitely So that's what that's what makes it interesting. Yeah, for sure. No, I agree with you. But hands down the best job available. I mean, we were talking about it on last pod, and I mean, it's definitely a splash hire, you know? Um it remains to be seen how Harbaugh's return to the NFL does. But if he does, in fact, end up going to Minnesota, it'll definitely be a splash higher. And he has success as an NFL head coach. So seems like Minnesota's making the right moves at the right time. So good stuff. Yeah. And I did tell a little bit of a lie. Uh, that was not the last thing that we were going to discuss. Um, last week, Antonio Brown was asked on the – I am athlete podcast with uh, Brandon Marshall, and that's become really popular. You know people hopping on with Brandon Marshall and the crew. Um, but AB was asked who he wanted his next quarterback to be, and he said Action Jackson, Mister Lamar Jackson. In case anybody doesn't know who that was referencing, but yeah, he wants Lamar Jackson to be his next NFL quarterback. And then literally like two days later, he posts himself. A picture of himself photoshopped, or it might have even been a legit Ravens jersey somehow. But 
he was photoshopped in a Ravens jersey in the number 84, and he put that picture on Twitter for all to see. So he's making his intentions clear. Uh, he really wants to be in Baltimore, but it's remained to see if it'll actually happen. Uh, how much does that hurt you personally that Antonio Brown, former beloved Steeler, wants to go to the Baltimore Ravens? Oh, it's a, it's a stab right in the stomach. It hurts so bad. Like, I mean, that's not even, even as, after that's he left. That's even worse than the heart. Like, a stab right in the yeah, stomach. It's, you, it's like right here, and it's gonna come. It's it's gonna be an infection. It's gonna it's gonna lot. It's gonna last for a little and bit. You like, don't die immediately. Like a heart, yeah, you're done. It's gonna like, be a long, just, painful death. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that hurts, man. <laughs> it really does. Because even even after. You know, I, I mean, I was pissed when he went to Oakland or Vegas or whatever it was at the time, and then New England, like, but once he got Tampa Bay, I was like, you know what, go go ball out, man. I was so happy for him, caught that touchdown in the Super Bowl, and then he obviously got his ring, and I still, I mean, I still have an Antonio Brown jersey. I'm, I actually bought it after he left the Steelers, um, but that would hurt a lot. Like, I like Lamar. I cannot stand to watch probably my favorite player in the NFL growing up one of the main people that got me like in into football go play for the team that I hate the most that that's going to not feel very good. Um, like I've talked to a couple of Ravens fans, friends of mine, and they're like, it's not going to happen because while we do like talk about how bad the receivers are or have been, that receiver room is getting kind of full. I mean, you bring bait, you've got Bateman, Hollywood Watkins is probably gone, but you've got uh Tylen Wallace, Duvernay, couple, Duvernay, yeah. Um, James Prochet, who is, you know, I think he was a very good draft pick, and he's played well when he's played, but he hasn't really played. Like, they, they just don't seem to want to get him involved. But I I don't see it happening. However, it is the Ravens, and it is Lamar. And if they really want to make that happen, they could, and it would injure me. It, it would hurt a lot. That would That would cut me deep, man. Yeah. That sucks. Um, but all I'll say on this is like, do I think it's gonna happen? Probably not. Um, the Ravens don't strike me as an organization that would. I mean, Baltimore is a very proud. City. Put up with that? Uh, would you say? You don't think they'd put up with that? Yeah, I don't think they put up with that, man. The Baltimore area is a very proud area, and I don't think they would want the hassle that would come from or come with Antonio Brown. But they did pick up Le'Veon Bell, so if they're willing to pick up Le'Veon Bell, they'd probably be willing to Who, pick up Antonio Brown. Granted, they had one of the most massive needs at a position that I can remember in a long time. But their willingness. And like you could uh, as much you could as assign like, like another thirty running backs over Le'Veon Bell, but you decided yeah. to bring in the guy with some antics, you know. So Yeah, but like as much as Le'Veon and A.B. will always be linked because they played together in Pittsburgh, obviously, and then they left in the same season, Le'Veon Bell wasn't nearly, like, especially after Pittsburgh, wasn't even close to the problem that A.B. was and has become. Mm-hmm. Le'Veon just wanted to be paid. Like, Le- Le'Veon just wanted his money. He sat out, whatever. Players have done it before. Players will do it again. What A.B. has just the tear. Like, I could literally think of probably 30 to 40 events where it was like, what other football player has ever done this? Like shit that you wouldn't even remember. Like, uh, like the video that came out of him like farting on the dude while he was like, give 
uh, I don't know what it was. It was his orthopedics or something. Having and he's just sitting in there farting in the uh, on Instagram in the locker room. In the locker room. Yep. Tomlin. Yep. I remember that. Uh, the frozen foot conundrum mm-hmm. where he had that shit on his feet. Then he wouldn't play because they couldn't get the helmet. And then he was like, "Well, Tom Brady gets to wear this helmet. Why can't I get the helmet?" <laughs> like so many. And then like yeah, he, the he gets his second oh chance God, in I New England. Yeah, I know. Like it's so it's so much shit that you'll forget that it, the Juju thing, the Boo Boo Smith Schuster, that whole action going on. And then like he posts the screenshot of Juju like saying like look man you know I I look up to you is there any advice you could give me and he's just shitting on him for asking for <laughs> advice like and then he gets his second chance in New England and then there's the sexual assault stuff and like and ugh. Then you have the whole like how does I mean you can't even and then flash he walks forward. off the field at Tampa Bay <laughs> yeah and you can't even you can't even flash forward to New England I mean he had the whole thing with the Raiders you know. Like, oh, I'm free, like, like that whole Oh, yeah, thing. and he called Mike Mayock a cracker, and then he, and then he did the I'm free thing. Like, I'm, I'm serious. Like, there's so many things that all of us have forgot about that Antonio Brown has done. Yeah. It's it's mind-blowing. And, like, I remember I remember when he came into the, like, such a hard worker, just put his nose down, went to work, started on special teams, yeah, because he was and just worked pick. his way And <laughs> Yeah, and then now, like, he's, like, the biggest egotistical maniac ever. Like, and then I remember, like, him tossing Gatorade coolers on the sideline because I remember when Vic wouldn't throw him the ball for whatever reason. Like, he just hated Vic when we had him in when Big Ben got hurt. Would not throw him the ball. He was so angry. It's just, like, wow. Like, I I could literally do, like, a 40-slide Instagram post of the timeline of his career. Yeah, I mean... Obviously, it's no secret that Antonio Brown is a little loose mentally, and that's putting it very nicely. But I want to do that. I want to just get a timeline together of like Instagram the events post. of Antonio Brown's career. I want to put together a documentary. <laughs> the first Blitz documentary. Blitz documentary? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. First Blitz documentary would be good shit. But concluding thoughts on the uh, AB to Baltimore thing. Do I think it's going to happen? No. Baltimore is a very proud city, but if it did happen, I think you would see a whole different Lamar Jackson. I think he'd be a monster. So, if it does happen, Lamar Jackson MVP campaign. Look out. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, I think that Real just... quick, real yeah, quick. Yeah, go ahead. I got to ask you. It's happening tomorrow. Commanders or Armada? What do you think is going to happen? What do you want uh, to happen? I have nerd. I've not heard anything about Armada in like the past like two weeks. Uh, Joe Theismann came out today and said that it's the Commanders um, because he's almost 80 years old and Thanks. doesn't know where he is anymore. So when they unveiled the name to him. Well, that and Lawrence Taylor yeah. Yeah. took his leg away. So He's been under some painkillers yeah, for a little bit. But um, yeah, he came out and said that the name was Commanders. Um obviously by mistake, but we've been buying like the trademarks for commanders. Like I, I think it's a hundred percent going to be the commanders. The announcement comes at 8 a.m. tomorrow though. So I'll be up early. I'm copping those black alternates as soon as, like as soon as they hit the store, I'm putting it into my cart and checking out. Like I don't have a Washington Jersey right now. Any thoughts on who I should get? Because I don't want to get Terry. It kind of scares me because I don't know if we're going to sign him to an extension or not. I don't know how black I don't know how black and maroon uh, are gonna look at like it might be a cool concept in theory. I don't know how it's gonna look 
I also don't really like any about the numbers or how any really jersey looks itself. Well, yeah, but you you think any player is gonna be like, oh, no, yeah, no, but this their is not it. Was like like they they've been the Washington football first... team for the last two years. If they are if they have any That's colors on their true. jersey, they should be thankful. That's very true. Well, they but... also I I wanted to get your I wanted to get your reaction, but you've clearly already seen like the some some like uh, news station in Washington D.C. took their helicopter out and did a nice little close up shot on FedEx Field and saw into their pro shop and it's already got commanders on it. So it is all but confirmed that we will be seeing the Washington Commanders next season. Wow. I fuck with what, it. what are we who who's gonna replace who's gonna replace uh Washington as the new team that gets their team taken away and is the football team for two years? Or do you think they'll do you think they'll actually like put together a team name in the off season like a normal franchise would do? Hey, I'm very fortunate that we didn't rush on the decision and come up with some stupid ass name like the Cleveland Guardians. Like I'm very, I'm counting my lucky stars right now that that's not the case. Uh, the Commanders actually has some ties to the Washington D.C. area. And I agree. Yeah, it's in, like it's a good name, but yeah, the Commanders. Eight o'clock tomorrow morning. Uh, I'll be repping a black. That's a little alternate jersey very soon on the podcast because I'm copping as soon as they drop, but. That just about does it for episode 53 of the Blitz Pod. Uh, it's been a good one. But next week, I talked about a little bit earlier, um, we're looking to do a mock draft episode, a little bit of an update, and we'll dive into some of the prospects and some of the news coming out of the Senior Bowl right now. Uh, we'll do that early on in the week, and then we'll do a big, fat episode for the Super Bowl preview, and that'll be a good time. So, yeah, keep an eye out for those next week. But... Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll catch you next week. All right. Peace.